And welcome back. It is now 9 a.m. on the nose on this Monday, the 8th of February, 2021. And welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. We're so very glad that you're with us for another one of our live episodes. You can catch Community Pulse uh, live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. right here on KOPN, your community radio station. The backdated episodes are then available immediately on our website. We also post them to our Facebook feed along with all of the germane links from the discussion of the day. And you can find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, the entire backlog there. We've been doing this for nearly a year now. So today on the program, on the topic a little bit of backdated episodes, last Monday, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, our local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, we're speaking a little bit about variants, and we also got into vaccines, of course. Uh, the conversation had to be cut a little bit short, but we're going to pick it up where we left off, talking about uh, some of the vaccines that are available, the different vaccines, and how they combat the different variants. So I can think of no other person I would rather speak about this subject with with and Dr. Elizabeth Altman. Welcome, doctor. Thank you so much again for joining us. Hey, thank you. It's it's really um, a lovely opportunity for me to have a reason every week to get my thinking clear and to dive a little deeper into the research. But I'm just going to tell you that um, even with all of the attention I've been paying for it, my head is spinning a little. So if um, other people who do not uh, live and breathe and talk this all the time or frequently are feeling confused about the comparison between these vaccines and what do they mean with the new genetic variants of the virus, um, then congratulations, you understand the situation well. <laughs> well put. Because, yeah, so, it, you know, it's like at the beginning of the pandemic, like a year ago and, or so when we started this process, this show, um, I, you know, kept saying every time I would make a statement, like, Every time we make a statement about this emerging pandemic, we pretty much have to say, so far as we know, yet, um, because this is emerging understanding, and now the virus is changing. So, um, yeah, so everything is a little different. So before we get deep into um, viruses, I mean, into the vaccines and such, I wanted to just run over the numbers, uh, the numbers of cases in Missouri and in Boone County continue to uh, slowly decline, as do numbers of hospitalizations. However, deaths seem to be staying fairly static, um, even though we've been having this decline over, you know, uh, three months now. We would have expected deaths to decline about three to four weeks after we started to see declining cases. And so that leaves things as a mystery. Uh, about why that's happening. Almost certainly there are more people who are getting sick than who are getting tested and diagnosed. And interestingly, the state of Missouri has decided not to count the uh, results of these rapid tests. They sometimes called antigen tests, not antibody tests to see whether you've had it in the past. But these tests that are promise a rapid turnaround within a half an hour or an hour. Um, those tests are a little bit problematic. They have a high false negative rate. So getting a reassuring result from that test is not necessarily as reliable um, as getting a negative from the uh, PCR test, the one that takes, you know, four to eight to 12 hours to get back. Um, but uh, people are relying on it. You know, as Americans, we and 
you know, people who live in the in 2021, we like immediate information and we think sooner is always better, but it's not so much. But however, those rapid antigen tests are reliable as far as a positive. Um, many people are still saying if you're not sure, if you get a positive test, you could get a repeat with the PCR test. Um, and the, the usefulness of these um, rapid tests are for frequent testing. So if we wanted to say, you know, say in a nursing home or in a college campus, if we want to say we're going to test everybody twice a week, we often do these rapid antigen tests, and they are helpful if you use enough of them. So that's a long-winded way of me saying the, the, the state of Missouri has decided not to count cases that are diagnosed with an antigen test, and that is probably between 20 and 25% of the tests we're doing in the state. So we may, may be missing that many cases who, of people who actually know. And then, of course, we're missing uh, cases of people who don't realize they have it, don't have symptoms, are chalking it up to something else, um, don't have access to health care, for whatever reason are reluctant to get tested, uh, many uh, uh, reasons why we're almost certainly undercounting. But also the Missouri Sewer Shed uh, Surveillance Project is uh, reporting uh, decreasing uh, amounts of messenger RNA in our in the stool, uh, in our sewer uh, systems, and so those things are all matching up. The thing that doesn't seem to be matching up with that is death. So it seems like things are looking better for Missouri. As far as our vaccine rollout, Missouri is still trailing the nation as far as percentage of our population vaccinated. We're up to 7.8% of our vaccination, our population vaccinated. We have administered 625,000 vaccines. So we're not doing as well as some other states, but we're doing something, and I'm really excited to see the vaccination process roll out. So... Um, and in Boone County, we had been seeing, you know, last week we had a couple of days below 30 um, cases per day. Um, and the last uh, data point is from Friday, and they had, we had 82 cases. And so we had a little bit of an uptick, but the five-day average test is still trending down. Um, and I did not expect that we would see lowering of cases in February, especially with all this cold weather. So... Um, in the light of that, and we are also seeing um, the arrival of these genetic variants of the vac of the virus uh, from, uh, and we're calling that we're naming them based on where we first identified them. We don't know whether that's where they came from, and there is um, some danger that this could become some ethnic slurring, and that is not my intention. But there's the UK variant, there's the there's apparently two variants from Brazil, and there's one from South Africa. And that is complicating everything. Um, so far, what we know about these variants is they seem to spread more rapidly. And the way we are, we're doing a lot of speculation. Okay, so now I'm moving fully into speculation. <clears throat> What we see, the pattern we see, is that once these variants appear, they begin to become the predominant variant, and that would presume that they have some competitive advantage, that they can do something better than the other variants, and we think that what they can do is spread more easily. The question is, do they cause more serious illness? And we, so far, we aren't sure, but uh, the best data I've seen is from... United Kingdom, where they have the most cases of that, that variant, and um, they have a COVID symptom tracker app. So a, everybody can download an app onto their 
phone, and they can every day report whether they're having symptoms or not. And that allows them to get data from millions of people that's real time, and they're able to track the incidence of the illness uh, through their population. And apparently there's a way to report when you get a COVID-positive test and whether you're positive test for the variant. And what they've noticed is that people do not seem to have more symptoms, more severe symptoms, or symptoms for longer, even when they get the, the uh, variant. We don't know whether, though, there's an increased risk of hospitalization. That would predict that they don't, that they, there isn't. But again, it's all speculation. So overnight, what we heard was South, the South African government has decided to suspend their vaccination efforts using the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine because of a preliminary study studying only a couple of thousand people, all of with the average age of in their 30s. Um, which showed a uh, really very, uh, you know, less than 50%. They're saying maybe about 20% protection against mild to moderate illness. And so they're thinking maybe this vaccine isn't effective against the South Africa variant. Now, most, again, we're doing a best I can tell, and if anybody knows something different than what I say, I am so welcome to be corrected. The best I can tell, the the... You know, I'm always wondering when we make a statement like it's less effective against the South Africa variant. Like, I want to know what study they did and how they found that out. The study that the South African government is quoting has not been published. It has not even been pre-published. So it hasn't been peer-reviewed. And we can't even do that global peer review that we're starting to do now if people will do um, uh, pre-publication uh, release of some data. That also then, seems you know, like everybody a, in the world can argue about it. A, but a right rather... now... I'm sorry. Uh, it also seems like a rather low sample size. Uh, would you agree? It's a very low sample size. And honestly, it is really sort of concerning to me. I mean, it has been my whole career. How many medical decisions we make based on, on data that is should be just considered preliminary, and then we somehow run out of enthusiasm or money to follow it up. I think we'll be following it up with more information. Yeah. And this morning while I was getting ready and I heard this news, I thought, well, what's the downside of vaccinating people with a vaccine that maybe is only 20% effective? I well, mean, I'm assuming there's a cost I, to, yeah. Indeed. Um, well, I mean, as you pointed out, we really don't know. Um, but right. to halt our efforts uh, seems... <laughs> Seems like a little bit of, uh, I mean, we just, we have to proceed, do we not? Uh, whether or not... Uh... So that, this, these are great questions. And my question about that wasn't just rhetorical. It wasn't just, well, why not? Let's just keep going forward. It's honest. Like, oh, first of all, I'm really glad I don't have to make this decision. Right. And so I'm armchair quarterbacking a little bit and, you know, just full, full disclosure about that. But I'm just curious, like, what in the mind of the person who needs to make a decision like that, what is the downside of moving forward? And I'm sure there's an expense. And then I guess if it's an ineffective treatment, then the person is exposed primarily to side effects and risks and doesn't get much of a benefit. We don't want to do that. There's also, even if they've already paid for the vaccine, there's the ongoing expense of um, syringes and needles and people and spaces and 
all of that, record keeping. And then there's the issue that um, the person has been vaccinated. And it's really important to keep public health messages as simple as possible because most people occupy their minds and thank goodness they do with things that aren't about the details of whether they got X vaccine or Y vaccine and do they need to go back and get another one. Yes. Well, I mean, you peer-reviewed studies are what we need in order to make such decisions. Um, that's right. simply the way it is. <laughs> I, I don't think uh, we could put it any better than that, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and then what do you do if you don't have that, but you still have to make a decision? So, um, so what, and, and the thing is, I, what we're doing is we're also speculating about the effectiveness of these vaccines against the variants based on the location the geographic location where the study was done. So in these larger vaccine studies, they are thankfully doing them in several different countries. And so it's not like we really know that these vaccines are less effective against that variant. We just can compare the effectiveness in South Africa versus the effectiveness if there was a group, if there was a study group in South Africa and there was a study group in uh, Brazil or any other place where some of these variants who have a name of another country but are now spreading in that country, the prevalence of those different variants. We are not, as far as I know, actually doing genetic sequencing of all of the positive tests of people in the study. And again, if I'm wrong about that, I would love to be corrected. Um, so we're just speculating that it's the variant and not something else about the location where we're doing these vaccines trials. Like, I, I mean, I don't know whether somehow they, you know, I'm sure that they're doing everything very carefully, but it's hard to make things be exactly the same in two different countries. Um, the other thing is that people, I think there's this idea that somehow because when the current vaccines that we have licensed in the United States, the one from Moderna and the one from Pfizer, when they were released, it was with this statement that they're 90 to 95 percent effective. And now we're seeing that some of these later vaccines are more like 60 or 80 percent effective. And then the thought is, oh, we, maybe, we, you know, we should consider some of them more effective than others. But the problem with that is that the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer vaccines were um, studied and approved in the summer and the fall. Well, they're studied so that their data comes from the summer and the fall, in mostly in the United States, when these variants were not prominent. And so we have not done a head-to-head -head study. If we want to know which vaccine is the most effective, you need to randomize people to get vaccine one and vaccine two and maybe even vaccine three and maybe even a placebo wing and study them head-to-head -head if you want the best information increasingly it's going to become unethical to randomize anybody to a placebo wing uh, when we have effective treatments that we believe to be safe. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, I, I think that what we're going to begin to see is more and more head-to-head -head vaccine studies. And that is a little bit harder since there is a little bit of geopolitical, um, what do you want to call it? country-based pride thrown in and I don't and so we're going to have to do a lot of cross national border cooperation to get those studies done you know medicine has done it and we can do it it's just that there are more obstacles to that so I think that 
um, these earlier vaccines are getting the benefit of having been studied before these challenging variants were around. Indeed. And uh, I mean, it's also probably um, uh, one should point out, I mean, we we understand some things about these variants, uh, but I think that the knee jerk reaction of, of most of the public when they hear about a variant, I mean, they would assume that it's like in the movies where, oh, my God, we're facing a virulent new strain uh, that it has different transmissibility and and, and can't be uh, fought with with current vaccine technology or something like this. We're talking about, uh, particularly in terms of a, of a novel virus, I mean, we're, we're talking about fewer and smaller mutations, which, yes, have their effect. They, of course, have their effect, but there's no reason to confront these with sort of a sensationalist uh, uh, drama that one would ordinarily associate with a screenplay. I mean, uh, Exactly. Yeah. I think sensationalism and drama, along with politicization, right. is, um, are unhelpful uh, approaches to a global health crisis. Indeed. Um, so, and over time, in general, all of life changes. So we, you know, we call them mutants, but a mutation is simply a change, and it implies a change in the genetic makeup. Um, and so, you know, mutant has gotten to be sort of like a synonymous with monstrous, which it isn't. It's just different. Yes. Um, and I think there's been a concern initially when these uh, variants arrived is, are we starting all over? Are we going to have to start all over? How about the people who've already been infected or vaccinated to the original strain, um, the predominant variant in, you know, throughout the last year? Are they at risk of getting infected with these new variants? And, you know, I have... Uh, some of my patients say, are we just going to have to do this all the time? Is this, we're going to live in crisis and worry and uh, racing around to get one vaccine after another? And I, I hope not. The, the way very mute, uh, genetic variation happens is with rapidly uh, repl- replicating organisms. And so if we can reduce our numbers worldwide, then we will reduce statistically the incidence of the emergence of ongoing of um, future variants yes and so that it's why this thing is like no you know if there's that whole thing of you know injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere uh viral replication uh, of any you know disease but specifically this one anywhere is a threat to all of our health everywhere which is why there's been a lot of um discussion from the very beginning about trying to distribute these vaccines widely, fairly, with a sense of, of justice, in part because, mostly because people everywhere have the same value, but also because even if all I care about is my own health, then I don't want this virus replicating anywhere. Indeed. I mean, it's the precautions that we have in place. I mean, it's one doesn't want to break out the crystal ball and say, you know, okay, this is when life will begin to return to normal. But I mean, even with uh, the vaccines that we're doing, we're probably going to keep most of the social distancing measures that we have in place for several more months. And uh, that's done with the aim of ensuring that people who are vaccinated, who might be still be able to transmit the virus, cannot do so. Uh, and also that uh, we don't spread any more of the 
uh, <coughs> genetic mutative uh, strains that have found an advantageous, a natural selection advantageous loophole. That is, you know, that they've uh, maybe be easily, more easily transmissible, more highly contagious in people who have light symptoms or no symptoms. So this is just an example of the virus, uh, well, taking advantage of one way that it has to spread, a natural process. Yeah, life, life finds a way. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> and the viruses are life. Um, and our immune systems also adapt, so human life finds a way as well. So um, this is a, you, you've hit on exactly why we're going to have to continue to uh, mask up and limit our social gatherings for a time longer, even those of us who've been vaccinated. Um, and part of it is uh, has to do with solidarity and you know what people call um, virtue signaling, which uh, I don't know what virtue signaling is. Except no, that's not know, a nice term. We, we we don't have to do, use that term. That's that's a term. No, but it is about <laughs> sort of showing support for a common cause in the same way that you know waving at a, another driver you pass on a rural highway is. So um, and it's also because we are still not sure whether or how well a vaccine prevents asymptomatic or really mild infection. And again, we're having to do a lot of speculation because frustratingly, we haven't actually done the studies where we give you know, one group of people a vaccine and the other people not a vaccine, and we swab everybody twice a week to see whether there's more um, uh, uh, incidence of the a virus in your nose even if you've been vaccinated and it doesn't make you sick. So we still don't know that. And with, you know, there are other uh, vaccine preventable illnesses, uh, notably mumps and whooping cough, where people who are vaccinated may actually have been the source of many of the recent outbreaks because they don't get classic symptoms. And so we don't realize that what they have is this particular vaccine preventable illness. And the vaccine isn't 100% protective. So even if it's a vaccine, so vaccinated people have spread uh, those illnesses to uh, also vaccinated people. And then the severe illness happens when they come across an unvaccinated person, either for whatever reason that they weren't vaccinated. Um, so since so many, so much of our population is still unvaccinated, those of us who have been vaccinated still need to be careful that we're not um, asymptomatic vectors while we figure it all out. Indeed. And that seems to be an important question, but not the most urgent one right now. Yes. Well, last week, we'll go back to last week's discussion. And I, I believe you made a statement saying, uh, you know, you're asked all of the time by people, which which vaccine uh, should I get? And your response is usually uh, the first one that you're offered. Um, yes. You still stand by that, correct? I'm still standing by it um, because the, and the thing that um, the other thing that I um, uh my mental critique about this new data that maybe you know has been published that the South African government used to halt the AstraZeneca vaccine rollout in the in South Africa is that really the data the thing I want the vaccine to do right now is to prevent death and serious illness. So a vaccine that keeps people from needing to be hospitalized or die or maybe even get long COVID because we think long COVID is associated with people having more symptoms early in the course, that that is a very valuable intervention. And if we could get everybody in the world vaccinated so it's, this isn't going to kill them or make them need to be hospitalized or make them long-term permanently partially disabled, 
Well, now that is a valuable intervention. Um, and uh, so, and the thing is, we still don't, I think that we still don't have the kind of information and data that people would need to make a thoughtful, careful decision about whether the Oxford is better than the Pfizer, whether the Johnson & Johnson that's coming out probably in the next week or two is a better option than the Moderna or the Pfizer. Again, those have not been um, subjected to head-to-head trials. And so it's sort of, it, you know, it's like um, trying to predict um, who's going to win a certain athletic event based on how they responded how they they fared in contests with other people with other teams and like you can't know and that's why people tune in to watch the game because you can't know so in the same way we can't know right now until we actually do the study whether one vaccine is is somehow better than others and then there are these other data points that we can't have yet because we've only been vaccinating for two months how long will they last but I mean, um, wait, waiting for absolute certainty is is not exactly an option. <laughs> uh, is it? Well, it puts you at risk of getting the infection, and then you know the question is, how do you want to get your immunity? Do you want to get your immune, or you know, how do you want to walk through this crisis? Are you hoping to hold up long enough that you'll avoid both the infection and the vaccine, and you'll just emerge on the other side, uh, not infected, not vaccinated, but still vulnerable to the to the infection, and hope that we eradicate it on a global level? That's one option. Another option is that you're hoping you get it, you get over it, and then you're immune and you're getting natural immunity. And you run the risk of getting seriously ill, uh, getting hospitalized. Even children have gotten seriously ill, seriously ill, hospitalized, and die. Um, so there's no age at which you are, in, you know, guaranteed to not have that. Um, but some people really think that natural immunity is the way to go, and you know, bless their hearts. Or do you want to get a vaccine and to be uh, become immune based on that way. And um, if so, then the only way the vaccine is actually going to work is to take it before you get the infection. Well, I mean, and there's just so much uncertainty in, in all of those options. You cannot avoid uncertainty, no matter which cannot option you choose. <laughs> I mean, that, no well, guarantees with any of those routes. Of course. Nope. Well, I mean, you know, we, we say this every week, and uh, and we're not telling. I mean, we have very intelligent listeners, so we're not telling any, anyone something that they don't already know. But, I mean, really, people will continue to die of this infection, uh, most likely for, for many, many years to come, just like they die of uh, uh, seasonal influenza. Uh, the important part of so much of what we've done in the past year is keeping the hospitals clear, keeping the intensive be- uh, care beds open so that people do not have to die needlessly and hospitals are not overwhelmed. So, I mean, in this, uh, you speak of solidarity, we, we speak of, uh, you know, coming together as a species, so to speak. I suppose getting the first vaccine that you're offered is, is doing your part uh, in a way. Yes, there are risks involved. There are always risks involved and there is no certainty. But it's, it seems right. like, I mean, that's what we're sort of banding together as a species to try to do. And again, we're not telling anybody something that they don't already know. We just have to keep those ICUs clear so that physicians are not put into the horrible choice of saying, I, I, this person lives and this person dies of this virus because people will die of it. But for putting people in the position to have to make the choice is 
Well, uh, you would know about it more than yeah, I do. Yeah, we also we, we we need our hospitals for the things that we've always been using them for. You yes. know, people having heart attacks and being in car accidents and all those things. So we um, hospitals are places most of us don't want to spend a lot of time unless we happen to work there. Um, but they are places where, if we need them, uh, most of us want them to be available for us. So um, throughout this this crisis, my attention has stayed laser-focused on how do we preserve the institution of our hospitals, because when the hospitals collapse, then horrible things start to happen. And we see that. uh, We saw that in the Ebola um, outbreaks in West Africa, uh, where an already, you know, a pretty good health system, but it was already struggling and not up to the standards that we're so used to here in the United States. Um, It didn't take much to overwhelm it, and then really hard things happened. Oh, it it happened at the beginning um, of this pandemic in Italy. It did. did. Yeah. So so that is, so I think the the big, we have a big, we don't know, a lot of uh, preliminary data to speculate on. And I think what we still know is that we have have some vaccines that appear to be effective and that um, their rollout is happening in the United States and hopefully will soon around the world. I did want to mention that on Wednesday, Jenny Chadwick will be our host and her guest is April Farrow. From, uh, who is going to bring up some uh, data regarding Columbia Public Schools that she's um, uh, collected that will help make us help us make thoughtful decisions about what we should do about um, educating our young. Um, and um, on uh, Your Health Matters this week, I have a live guest, uh, Hannah Barton, who is. Um, that's about engineering, using engineering principles to make uh, healthcare and medicine work better, which is will be an interesting non-pandemic-focused uh, talk. Wow! And uh, so then I just want to leave people with the typical blessing of wear your mask, wash your hands, avoid gathering inside with other people, um, take your vitamin D. We're getting increasing evidence that vitamin D is helpful, and. Um, uh, cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a viral infection. And also, and thank you so much, Peter, for your engineering. Yeah, today. no problem. And well, also, uh, can strongly consider taking the the first vaccine that you're oh, offered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> first vaccine that you're offered. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, okay. Dr. Allman, for another great, uh, informative conversation. And as Dr. Allman was pointing out, please uh, tune in for Your Health Matters this Wednesday, uh, along with Community Pulse uh, this coming Wednesday at 9 a.m., because we have some more great information coming up from experts such as Dr. Allman uh, on the global pandemic and how we're dealing with it here in mid-Missouri. So, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to Community Pulse. It's our pleasure to engineer and produce this program for our community via the help of volunteers. And you can catch the next live episode at 9 a.m. on Wednesday with Ginny Chadwick, public health advocate, and also Mallory Daly, who will be engineering. We have a return to regular programming coming up. As always, thanks so much for listening, Columbia, and we bid you to stay safe and stay informed. Until next time.